So if you follow my episodes as I post them, then you'll be aware that a couple of weeks back now, I went networking for the first time, like business networking, and I've not done it for such a long time, over six years actually. Uh, And this time I went with a completely different hat on. Previously, I would go and network as a radio presenter, a public speaker, and, you know, obviously was somebody who was trying desperately to have a child at the time. And now I went out as now a mum, a lady who's just launched her own business in the automotive industry. So I work privately with clients, sourcing them vehicles from home and also a podcaster. So I was a little bit apprehensive at first as to meeting new people. And obviously sort of now I do a completely different job uh, with a completely different mindset as well. Um, But it was wonderful and effortless. It just felt great. In fact, I made some cracking new connections and reignited some old connections as well, because I really have squirreled myself away uh, for about six years whilst I tried for a baby and had a Roman. A lady I met who I've not seen for such a long time was sat on the table next to me. And I I absolutely adore this woman. Tony McKenzie is somebody who I've met previously at so many other networking events. She's somebody who nobody has a bad word to say about Tony ever. She's one of these ladies that you just meet and you instantly gel with. She is, to me, the epitome of class. She just looks so fabulous in anything. Her clothes are always bang on fleek. Her makeup always looks flawless and her hair is just incredible. And she's somebody who's got such a wonderful nature about her that the first thing she'll always ask you is how you are. She always, But she does it genuinely as well, right? really genuinely. Now, I know that Tony has been a hypnotherapist for years. And I also knew that she had her struggle as well uh, at, you know, to get to motherhood. But what I didn't know before she became on the show as a guest speaker, I did not know that she was a psychotherapist, a counsellor, an EFT tapping practitioner. Also, she is an NLP practitioner, an RTT practitioner and a life coach as well. Oh, yes. Tony is incredibly well read. And the work that she does as well is amazing. She works with everybody from all different walks of life. Um, but her story, she's also got a book, which is a five-star book on Amazon. But I'll, I really want you to listen to this podcast so you can find out more about how this book came about and how Tony actually became a hypnotherapist. Because from a lady who started one career, which is very similar to myself, ended up with such a different career. And it was all part of her journey. So if you have got the time, and I genuinely mean this now, to sit back and listen to something which is really going to benefit you, hearing words of wisdom, success, and actually inspiration. Tony will give you confidence to know that you can literally do anything because that's exactly what she did. Even in her darkest hour, she made it all happen. I cannot tell you how grateful I was for Tony to come on the podcast and actually be a guest speaker. I know for a fact you're going to really love this episode. It's going to be one of those ones where you really don't want to get out of the car. So just truly enjoy it. And I can't wait to introduce you to Tony McKenzie. Milk. Yummy mummy. Geriatric mum. How the f*** did that happen? Hi, I'm Sally Wallace and welcome to my podcast, Adventures of a Geriatric Mum. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Why the name? Well, it's a label that I've been slapped with recently, so I've decided to embrace it. But don't worry, it's not all sore nips and stretch marks from here onwards. As a former radio presenter, public speaker and someone who's a huge advocate of keeping banter alive, each week I'll be sharing life observations with a twist, random questions, subject matters that'll blow your mind, Like, do we really eat spiders in our sleep? Am I the only woman who walks around with crystals in her bra? And 
Why is it that my husband's clothes and socks are so much more comfortable than my own? All gripping stuff. Find me on Instagram and Facebook at Adventures of a Geriatric Mum. Something has brought you here today, and I think it's because we're on the same vibration station. Thank you so much for having a listen. I really hope you enjoy it. So welcome to Adventures Ever Geriatric Mum. I've already mentioned this lady and already talked about her incredible skills, expertise and talents in the intro. So I am so excited to have, when it's guest speaker day, it's literally my favourite day. But to have Tony on the show is just, yeah, it's a real gift, to be honest with you. I've met this lady a long time ago, um, which you already know. Um, so it's, uh, it makes me very happy to be able to introduce Tony to the podcast. Hi, Tony. Hi, Sally. Makes me happy to be here too. Thank you oh, for inviting great. me. I'm um, honestly, I was so glad and so grateful when you said that you would you'd come on as as a guest speaker. Now, on Adventures of a Geriatric Mum, let me just tell you a little bit about what I started. So, I started this podcast because I went through a really tough time with fertility, which is when I think you know when you and I met at a networking event a couple of weeks ago. That's what you said. The last time you saw me was before I had Roman. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I was, and I think you even said to me, you weren't in a good place and I wasn't, and you were totally right. I wasn't. I I remember that you were really, really wanting to get pregnant and it wasn't happening. And and you know how sad it made you feel and and empathize with you having been through similar, but different experiences. Yeah. So, I mean, goodness me, I went and squirreled myself away for quite a few years, but to be back networking a couple of weeks ago was, was just fantastic. And I've missed so, like your faces, of course, and missed so many of the ladies and the faces that we always get together and, you know, really big each other up and honor each other. So it was so wonderful to see you. And as soon as I saw you again, I thought, oh my goodness, I need to get Tony on my podcast. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, the work so that you do is amazing. But Tony, really, Sorry, I know that you've got your, uh, you've, you're, I mean, you know, I've already said in the intro, you're a hypnotherapist, you're an NLP practitioner, you have got so many accolades under your belt, it's incredible. But what I really want to know is, how did this all come about, Tony? Because your story's so fascinating, and it starts in childhood, is that right? Well, it does start in childhood. And that's where at the intro of my, my book, which we'll maybe talk more about later but um I I reflect on childhood messages I received and I had you know I was well looked after and loved and didn't have a bad childhood at all but messages go in when children are in the first sort of six seven years of your life messages go in from your parents from influential adults around you perhaps if you if your family follow a religion through through religion through the media as you get a little bit older perhaps but all these messages go in and they lead to the beliefs, the feelings, the expectations of, of what we're of, of our own value, of other people, of what we are able to achieve. And nobody intentionally said anything to cause me any damage, but I was brought up a Catholic and the Catholic faith at that time, it's maybe more open now I don't follow a religion as such anymore but it was all kind of stay small and um and what you're born in sin you know if you don't get baptized you go straight to hell and burn and all those no, of course but isn't it you know my, my father was a roman catholic and he's yeah. he was labeled by the priest a lapsed catholic when he no longer wanted to follow do you know what tony i think i mentioned this to you when i spoke to you first time around because you were telling me that you're a catholic and i said the only reason why i understand the the language that was used is because my father was 
um, was a Roman Catholic. And it was because when he married my mother, the priest had said to my dad, why have you and Sandra um, not created, uh, you know, like life? Why have you not had children yet? And my dad said, well, we've just bought our first house. So we're just going to hold off for a couple of years. Of course, that meant that my dad was using contraception and he was then ousted from the church. Oh, yeah, model saint. <laughs> and that Crazy. was it. Literally, just because my dad was using a condom. Yeah. Was, that was it. He was told he was not allowed to go to church anymore. He yeah. certainly wasn't allowed to go. Oh, this is going to make me sound really ignorant. You know, when you go and take the the wine and the um, yeah. Yeah, communion, yeah. that's it. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to do that at all. He said, no, no you can't even come here. Absolutely. I know. I know all these stories and the experiences I had as well growing up. Mm. So, so tell us about that then. So as a child, the language and the restrictions. So how did that affect you then? Because I mean, I, I, I can speak because of my dad, but how did that affect you? Well, I wasn't aware that it was affecting me at the time. But when I looked back and started doing work on myself as an adult much later on, I could see how it had um, led me to sort of feel that I, I needed to stay small, not, sh you know, hide your light under a bushel, not, don't shine your light, don't speak well of yourself and, and feel guilt and shame and, and all that sort of thing. It, we had to go to confession every Saturday night from the age of six, kneel down and confess our sins. And it was just, I mean, like I say, I didn't know any difference. So I just went along with it. But looking back, so damaging. At what point then did you start to look back and reflect on your childhood then? Because I mean, you've had an incredible career up until the point where you got married. So um, I, I won't I won't tell uh, like, that your story, but, you know, you experienced something that some women would literally think, how the hell did she bounce back from that? How did that happen? Absolutely. So please do tell us about how, you know, you started your career and, and, and what your career was and, and what led you to, to these experiences. Yeah, okay, so my career was as an air stewardess, as they were known then, I think just called them cabin crew now. And I really enjoyed that because I, I loved the, the variety of the hours and going to different places and different crews. And it was flexible, varied times. And I really enjoyed my job. But then one day along the line, I met, uh, it was a passenger actually, who had been on my flight a few times. And he, um, one day he, he, oh yes, he knew one of the other stewardesses and he was working, he was a pilot, but he didn't work for the same company, he was working abroad overseas. And he left a note with another stewardess to put in my pigeonhole at the airport, asking if I would go out with him the next time he was home. Oh, so, old um, fashioned dating, look at that, yeah, not a text or yeah. a poke on Facebook, a <laughs> little note. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I said, well, you know, tell me more. What do you like? How well do you know him? And I said, oh, he's good fun. He's a nice guy. And, you know, flown with him many times when they were based in the Isle of Man with the local airline years before. So I thought, well, nothing to lose, really. You know, he comes with a, a fairly good reputation or, or rec um, recommendation, should I say. And um, so, yes, so he, he turned up at the house at my, my flat. I was sharing with a girlfriend in his Mercedes and he was <laughs> driving along. We were going, going out for dinner somewhere. And then he said, um, what would you like to drink? And I thought, why is he asking me now? We're still on the road. And, and um and then I said, well, I'm not sure yet. And he said, oh, well, I've got such and such. And I said, well, what do you mean you've got? And he had in the boot like this ice box with champagne and all these, you know, all these different drinks. And he's going to pull over and pour me a drink. Sounds crazy now. And I don't know what wow. memories just come back. But he was good fun. And we had a great night. And so I decided, yes, I would see him again. And because he was away a lot of the time, he would do, I think he did 10 days 
I don't know, I can't remember now, but maybe maybe even a week at home and three weeks away. So, um, you know, we weren't committed to one another, but we were dating. At the same time, I met another person on a flight who was an actor and um, a well-known actor who used to be in a, a series on TV called Lewis Collins, The Professionals. I don't know whether you... Ooh, that's old that school. Before. Yeah, and he, now he passed me a note. I was One of my friends who was going, uh, she was a stewardess going, we were flying to London, then she was going off somewhere and she was sitting in the back seat. And when I'd served my passengers, I sat down with her having a coffee. And then when I was collecting the, the coffee cups and the trays, there was a note, he'd actually put a note on, and he said he'd written... Are we a mile high yet? I'm sure you pardon. If everybody doesn't know, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's um, referring to having sex when you're a mile high above the ground in a plane. (laughs) So I was quite prim and proper, really, and I was confident in in my job, you know, my role as a stewardess, but I didn't quite know what to say. I was kind of embarrassed. And so I totally ignored the note and, and acted like I hadn't read it. And then all the past when we got to our destination, the passengers all got off and he stayed in his seat. And then he sort of sheepish, sheepishly got up and said, um, as I was standing, saying, you know, thank you for flying with us, Baba. And he said, um, did I say the wrong thing or, you know, did I upset you or offend you or something like that? And I just I don't even remember what exactly what I said. And he said, can I make it up to you? You know, can next time I'm back because he was living in down south, but his family lived on the world. And um, probably not far from where you are now. Ah, um, nice place. Yeah. And and so anyway, he said, could you take me out for dinner? And I was like, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> Hard <laughs> and, to get, Tony. And back then, we didn't even have mobile phones. So I gave him the, the landline number at the flat I shared with my friend. And while I was out the next day or the day after, phone rang and this voice my friend said you know the male asked for me and she said oh no sorry she's she's not here at the moment you know can I give her a message and he said just tell her Lewis phoned Lewis Collins and she was like Lewis Collins and it can't be the same one sounds like him and, and when I came home she said somebody called Lewis Collins phoned you and I was oh yeah yeah he was on the flight the other day <laughs> <laughs> so I, I dated him so there was nothing serious nothing heavy going on but the pilot was still sort of on the scene but he worked away and Lewis Collins lived down south and then he came up to visit his family occasionally so I de- he had a few dates with him and then it came to it was running up to Christmas and um the pilot was home on leave over Christmas and Lewis Collins was going to his family's for Christmas and both of them said oh what are you doing at Christmas I'd love to spend Christmas and I was like uh uh-uh, uh what do I do here <laughs> and it wasn't like I was being unfaithful to either it was just you know date, it was dates they were dates yeah of course Who so you married the pilot didn't you yeah not straight away but yeah <laughs> <laughs> carried on dating for a while and well, then tell us got... about so once was the once you'd once you'd uh you'd, you'd married the the man who was I mean yeah. really quite swept you off your feet with a with a you know with yeah. a nice icebox in the boob um <laughs> you obviously then wanted children so please tell us the story about yeah. how you yeah. um I, well really what drew what actually your journey to motherhood because again it's yeah. it's another one with its hurdles Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I gave up my my job when we got married because he was going away a lot. He, he changed, he'd worked for a different airline, but he was going on some wonderful long haul flights and wanted me to go with him. And I didn't want to say no, really. Why, you know, well, yes, that would be lovely to be able to go with you to um, Mombasa and Mauritius and all these lovely oh, places. Wow. 
So, um, so I gave up work and straight away, you know, we wanted to have children and it didn't happen straight away. So, oh, yeah, okay. I did think because in my naivety at the time, I thought, right, okay, just don't use contraception. I'll get pregnant because now, I mean, the things are sort of known, so much more is known about issues, aren't they? Whether it's menopause or infertility or whatever. But back then I was like, why hasn't it happened yet? You know, it's been three months. But and you know what, Tony, on. honestly, sorry to interrupt you, but that's all I knew. You know, that's all yeah. I knew. And I started yeah. trying, oh God, what, eight years ago? Eight years ago, I started trying. And all it was, was come off the pill and you'll just fall pregnant really easily. Yeah. So honestly, on reflection, I didn't know when I was ovulating. I didn't know how to track cycles. And yeah. isn't it, I mean, I don't know what the time span is between when you were trying for, for your your family and I'm trying for mine but that's a couple of decades I think isn't it and, oh, yeah. and still the information's just not getting to young women it's just not it's we're, we're almost being told how not to get pregnant but we're not oh. being told how to get pregnant yeah. that's right Sorry. absolutely yeah, so yeah so, so you, you were saying that you know you obviously just like weren't using contraception you were trying for, for children yeah absolutely and um I, so I started to look into it and, and read things and, I, and I, I found out that you could take your temperature, you should take your temperature to know when you were ovulating, if it was over a certain, um, you know, if it was higher than it should be or whatever, I can't even remember if it's higher or lower, but that would tell you you're ovulating. So, you know, we have, we get the thermometer out each month and, um, and try and hope for the best. And I'd sort of lie there afterwards with my legs raised and make sure that everything <laughs> stayed in and got to the egg. Or I think we've all done that, haven't we? Yeah. Like, literally lay there and like, your other half's yeah. gone, what the hell are you doing? Just shush, <laughs> leave me here. Yeah. <laughs> with a pillow under your bum so you can get your legs even higher. Right, yeah, absolutely. So um, anyway, it didn't happen and it went, time went on. And meanwhile, we got two little puppies, two little King Charles Cavaliers, and they were my little boys, my baby boys. And then further down the line, we got a kitten who was my little girl and then a stray found us and we couldn't find out where she was from, another kitten. So we had two cats, two dogs, but we still really wanted a baby. And we, we oh yeah, I actually went down the route of, after, oh that, yeah, he had, my ex-husband now, um, he had um, tests, sperm count tests, and he had low motility. So they were there, but they weren't moving as well as they could. And apparently they're going in different directions, don't they? Yeah, like low yeah. motility can mean they're going all over the place. Yeah. Something like that anyway. But um, apparently it's quite common with like long distance lorry drivers and pilots who are sat, you know, and their, their sort of trousers gets hot down there. Yeah. And that can cause the problems. So um, because it wasn't happening with his sperm, we attempted artificial insemination by donor. And that didn't happen either. I had tests and they couldn't find that there was anything wrong. I was ovulating, I was producing eggs. So we just didn't know what it was. So um, we got to a point, and I can't remember how many years, it was maybe like trying for two or three years or something. And we looked into adoption. And I really wanted to adopt a baby, much as I feel so strongly for all the poor children who are older, you know, children who are in care mm -hmm. and really want a home. It was just that, that feeling inside of me, I wanted to have a baby. So we made inquiries and we were told at that point that I think it was 35, age 35 was the cutoff to adopt a baby because after that you were considered geriatric. Geriatric, yeah. yeah. And so we waited and we waited 
And back in those days, there was a program called Dallas, which I imagine you've heard of. That was on, uh, of course. <laughs> and it was like Friday night. You know, Dallas is on. Don't nobody calls anybody because you've got to watch the latest episode of Dallas. And the phone rang. I was like, "Who the hell's calling me when Dallas is on?" Well, better answer in case my mom and an emergency, isn't it? And it was this. Um, oh, by this, yeah. So we were with the. I was going to say it's the nun. It was the Catholic Children's Society, Adoption Society, that um, that we'd applied to so it was this wonderful scatty nun she was just like you know a real character she drove a mini and we lived in a cul-de-sac and she just like abandoned the mini in the middle of the cul-de-sac and come running in you can kind of picture her you know in a sort of comic film sort of thing and uh, so it was this nun saying um oh are you still interested in a baby and I was like yeah well, <laughs> and she, she said well there's a, there's a baby about to be born and we haven't got the right couple. And I know you, I think I was a year older, 36, and we were both at similar age, my husband and I, um, but, but we won't tell anyone. <laughs> oh my, do you know, I love her. Thank you, sister. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Sister Patricia, her name was. And she was wonderful. So I, I thought, hang on, am I dreaming here? Uh, I'm being told there's a baby coming into the world and, and we are being offered the, the, the opportunity to be parents. And I was like, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And, uh, and I, you know, I was like shaking with like, pinching myself. So she said, right, well, we'll get back to you. But, um, and the baby was due very shortly. And uh, anyway, three whole weeks after the due date, wow. <laughs> so we decided to make an appearance. So we got a call to say, the baby's been born. It's a boy. Can you come in tomorrow and meet his birth lady and him? Wow. So we went into the hospital and it was so emotional. We took flowers and chocolates for her and she was a young woman. She was about 19. She wasn't like a very young teenager, but she'd come from a very sort of um, strict Catholic family in Ireland. And she she was living in, um, in digs in London and doing her, her nursing. She was a nurse, but she was doing some training there. And the, the couple she was staying with, they had a son who worked abroad and he came home for Christmas, presumably, and nine months later, oh, this wow. young virgin, <laughs> first, my son for me. Aww. Thank you so much. Yeah, me what a gift, what a and, gift. Yeah. So um, we went and met her and she'd been crying, her eyes were red and she was just like so emotional and we were emotional trying to fight oh, the tears back. And then they brought him in and this beautiful baby was carried in and she said, He's got all this scaly skin on him. Do you still want him? I'm not making want to cry just thinking about that. Oh my, do you know what? I actually feel myself filling up now. Bless her though, but you know what? That's yeah. just... Yeah, and, um... and I, I, I didn't even see the red scaly skin. <laughs> I could just see this beautiful baby. baby yeah. And I was like, yes, of course. I mean, it would have mattered <laughs> if he'd had, you know, two heads or whatever. It was my baby and I yeah. wanted that baby to be mine. And um, so it was only because he'd been in the womb longer. And yeah. they just had this dry skin, which just went quickly. And it was the most beautiful baby. So the next day after that, he was only two days old. We took him home. Oh, wow, Tony. That's, yeah. that's one of the most beautiful stories. The fact that you got to meet your son's, you know, birth, like you said, birth lady. Yeah. Because it's almost like she, that must have been a nice bit of closure for her as well, to know that he's going to such a beautiful yeah. mother and father. And yeah, it must, that's honestly, it's one of the most beautiful stories. But of yeah. course, you don't just have one child, you have two, don't you? Yes. I, oh. I don't want to just suddenly wash over the fact that you have a second child, but she's also adopted. You also have an adopted daughter as well, don't you? Yes, she is. 
yeah, yeah. So father, so that was it. I, you know, was so thankful for having this beautiful baby. Never dreamt that we'd, we'd have the opportunity to adopt another baby. We went to church one Sunday with Harry Marcus, and, and there was a, a newsletter at the back, and it said in it that the Catholic Children's Society in Scotland were looking for parents to adopt babies. So, um, oh no, it's, yeah, it said something about oh, something about Irish background. So I remember two priests in the family, um, generations before me, uh, who, who I, I knew, I'd met both of them and I knew one of them quite well. And so I wrote this letter about all the Irish connections and Catholics and da da da. And then I got a letter back saying that was that was a misprint, I'm afraid. You know, the, the thing about the Irish background or Irish, Irish connections, but we have a baby, not saying what sex, who is has got links, well, her, her birth mother, my birth lady, um, is from Scotland, um, but she was she, she was at university, she got pregnant, and they, um, they wanted, she wanted, didn't want the child to go to a family in Scotland, because her own family were there and they didn't know about it, she just thought, it, you know, they could, yeah. how they'd have found out, I don't know, but that's what, that was what she was thinking. She was scared. Well, yeah. sounds a bit yeah. scared and when you're scared yeah. you just don't you know it's, yeah I mean you know who knows that something could have happened it could have been easier to but anyway we my, my ex-husband's name was Campbell Mackenzie so he obviously had Scottish connections he, his grandparents were born in in Scotland and we'd been living in Scotland that's right I think we moved from Scotland to yeah, wherever we've been living in Scotland so I said oh well as it happens <laughs> yes we can meet that criteria too and she, she, she met us, then she came back again, and she said she was pleased to say that, and this baby was already born in foster care, and she was three months old, and they were pleased, she was pleased to say that we, you know, we, we would like you to adopt her. And uh, she wouldn't say, initially she said, I can't tell you the sex, and then she said her, and I was like, did, did that just slip out? <laughs> I didn't say that. And I was like, yeah. And I remember when she'd gone, I picked Marcus up and we were dancing around. I was dancing around the kitchen saying, we're going to have a baby. You're going to have a little sister. And I was so excited again. So we had to go down somewhere in the new forest. She was in, in a foster home with this lovely older lady who, who'd fostered so many children. And she was a you know, really lovely person. And we had to, we were told to take her out in the pushchair, you know, get to know her sort of thing. And she cried and cried. And I was like, well, why is she crying? I mean, the poor baby was just two strangers, three strangers, we had Marcus with us, come in and take her away from the only home she's known and just, you know, with, with no sort of time to get to know her in the house or anything. And, yeah, they thought that that was a good thing to do. But um, anyway. So you have your family, and I, I suppose in your world at this point, everything's absolutely wonderful. Yes, absolutely. I thought I had everything I'd ever wanted. Had my two, my, my loving husband, who was very demonstrative and very loving, and always wanted me to be with him and do things together. And my two beautiful children, my two cats, my two dogs. Beautiful home. Uh, we were in the process of building. We, we were living in a lovely home, but we moved back and we were building our ideal home, having it built in, on this plot of land in um, just outside of Altrincham. And um, yeah, everything was hunky-dory. And then without go again going into the whole story, I discovered that my wonderful loving husband was actually having an affair with a married woman. Mm. And I, I found letters and compromising photographs of 
them in a hotel room together. And as you can probably imagine, I just went sick. I literally felt like it was a kick in my stomach. Could not believe that he, he, you know, of all people who, who were so overjoyed when we adopted our babies, who were so demonstrative and that appeared to be so loving, and yet he could do this. So it was absolutely devastating. So again, leaving bits out, but I, I, I knew I could never trust him again. He, he, said, mm. he said he would end it when I confronted him with the evidence and everything. And he said, no, it doesn't mean anything. And I just, I, I just couldn't, I knew that I just, it was, it was over, you know, the tr I, I trusted him implicitly and I knew I could never have that trust again. So we did get divorced and but we had to live in the house that we built for a period of time um, before we could sell it. Otherwise, he'd have had to pay a huge amount of um, profit and property tax. And, to yeah. do that. and so he convinced me and said, well, we'll have to do this because then there'll be more money for you to go and buy a house for yourself and the children. And um, along that gave him the leeway to kind of the time to plot and with this woman who he was still with. And oh, he was uh, recording my phone calls to my family, and, and do, he wanted to know everything because I was I wasn't up to anything. I was just trying to survive and get through this. And he accidentally recorded a phone call, phone conversation with his with the other woman, saying, "Oh, she yeah, she thinks she's going to get um, the money or something, and the money for a house." But little does she know. And, and this woman was laughing. She had two children too, and she was married to a millionaire divorced him and did very nicely but she was laughing at the fact that you know I wasn't going to get that he, that he was planning that and he'd had me sign papers and although I couldn't have trusted him as a faithful husband again I did trust that he would provide for he children. would do right by you and, and your children because yeah. you I mean you think about it, you fought so hard to have this family exactly. and yeah. it's, it's almost like how can he how on earth can she laugh I mean that's just that's vile behavior yeah. that is, oh, is. as a mother herself as well as a mother herself she's laughing yeah. that's why I don't I don't understand people like oh, that I don't, I don't want to understand people like that yeah. frankly but, um, we're, we're drawn to each towards each other because they were similar yeah very toxic very toxic mindsets really but it's such a shame because also, this person, you just said then you trusted him. It's almost like your world has completely been turned upside down because then you start to question your own judgment, really, don't yeah. you? And then yes, well, how could I have not yes. seen that he was like that? But it, there was no sign of it. I mean, he would all, you know, if he had somebody tell a story of, of a husband going off and leaving his wife and children, and he was absolutely outraged. How could a man do that? I remembered him saying that, going on about it a time before, some time before that. And, and yet he went and did it. So I didn't know exactly, I, although I'd heard him say this, that she's not going to, I, I didn't know what that meant or what was going to happen. But on the when we sold the house, on the day we were due to move out, he came to me with this list of how much we'd sold it for. And his, oh, it said in the paper I'd signed, after all bills are paid, there were no bills, there were no other loans, just the mortgage. and. He had run up all these debts. Uh, he'd hired a light aircraft. He'd done all these things. He was renting a very expensive house. And he, uh, it was just this long list that totaled the exact amount we'd sold the house for. And I'd signed to say I would get some 60% or whatever after all debts were paid and signed it, knowing that there weren't any, not knowing his plan. Oh, my goodness. So my mum was there helping 
me to you know, pack up and move. And um, I found my solicitor and he said, don't go, don't move out of the house, just sit tight. And I was like, I just want to get out of this house. I want to go away from him. But he was like, no, no. So I, I said, he, and then he, he appeared at the house. Uh, oh, no, he'd already appeared, sorry, with a list of, of debts or whatever. And I told him what my solicitor had said. And so he said, right then. And he went and switched off the electric and gas and said, well, try staying here now then. But no, his, his children are in the I house. Know. So um, and I'd found a house to rent, rent temporarily for six months before we, we sorted out the money side of it. And he said he wasn't going to pay for this house that I'd found. He said, go back with your mother to Liverpool and live in her house. I, so were I, you working I, at this point, Tony, as well? I had no income. I was totally dependent upon him. And um, like hardly anything in the bank because it'd be just, I, I don't know, he, he, I'd just use credit cards and he had to do shopping and food and he'd pay the bills and whatever. And so I had nothing and no, so he was making us actually homeless. So the solicitor, that was when the solicitor said to the state push. So eventually he very reluctantly went to the estate agent and paid six months rent and said, right, okay, go there. And then after that, you're on your own. And um, the next day, he put something through the letterbox saying, um, oh, don't bother taking Marcus back to his private school because um, I've phoned the headmistress and told her I'm not paying his fees anymore. So like Marcus, he was saying, he can't even go to school, the school he knows and, you know, the teachers and friends. But I, I spoke to the headmistress and she very kindly allowed him to stay and said she would take it up with him. I don't know if she ever got it, but the money. But that's what a horrible man he turned out to be, what a heartless person he turned out to be. I mean, honestly, from, from listening to that story now, my heart goes out to you, but more so your kids. That's their I know, dad. That's I know. their dad. Absolutely. And um, what I've read since about, you know, adopted children, they don't, it's like just an inner feeling, even though that they've always, I've always emphasised how very much we wanted them. They didn't yeah. just arrive in mummy's tummy. Mummy had to go and find them and they were meant, they'd come into the world, you know, to, for me to be their mummy and everything. But nevertheless, there's an element of knowing when they understand it a little bit later that they've been given away. But I've always said, you know, both of your birth ladies, they, they loved you very much. But they wanted you to have two parents and have a nice home and and there we are, with single mum, no home. Um, so, it's ironic. Well, that's exactly it. So, Tony, you ended up, you were a single parent. You didn't have a house. I mean, and now, I mean, I've introduced you as a hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner and EFT tapping practitioner. Tell me what, what, how did you literally pick yourself up? Because, I mean, forgive me, but I would, if, if that happened to me, I would be on the floor. Yeah, you well, know, so. I would thought I would be. And, and at first I was, you know, I was devastated. I didn't know what. I was going to do I was afraid of the future you know how am I going to cope I haven't got a job my family lived in Liverpool and were very supportive I didn't want to move back to Liverpool because Marcus was at school Melissa was in nursery and um I had to move her from the private nursery as well into one that you know that was affordable or, or I think at the time I had to actually go on benefits I'm not ashamed to say I couldn't have no option yeah. but to do so after the six months were up I had to apply to the council and um and then I was so I was praying <laughs> and I was before I missed a bit out of the story that I would found the law of attraction as it's now known use visualization techniques everything but I was still kind of praying to not religiously but to the powers that be whatever the universe yeah I remember one day when they were at school and I, I'd taken them to school and I think Melissa had started school by then and we'd moved from one 
place that we had for six months to somewhere else temporary again and, and I got housing benefit for it and then I was sitting on the bed crying you know just letting it all out and and I actually cried out and said help me please help me and kind of turned it over to the universe and it from there for from that point on all sorts of things happened that I could never imagined but the first thing was I went and did a psychology course because I'd always been fascinated by the power of the mind and adult courses were free so I went and did this course and while I was doing it I read about a counselling course training to be a counsellor I didn't really understand much about counselling but when I read into it I thought that sounds really intriguing and it's all you know psychology again and the mind so I signed up for the introductory course very sort of tentatively thinking everybody else my self-esteem must have been really my self-worth was like really low and like oh you know am I good enough to go and do yeah. this course? everybody else there has probably been to university but I didn't go to university to, and there were but I, I made myself go and did the introductory course and then the, the next thing was a one-year certificate and I had like an interview and I was like oh I don't know whether and, and she was absolutely you know you're made for it do it so I did the one-year counselling um, certificate and then the next step was a two-year diploma and again I thought well yeah I've done the certificate but and uh, and, and again the tutor said Tony you're on the course you <laughs> know you better turn up because you're on it and there was so much self-development work. We'd have like a personal development group each week, one day each week, where we sat in a circle and we would just, somebody would start off with a question or a topic. Or, and I, I couldn't speak in that group. I, I was really, you know, afraid to be me or to expose myself, I kind of guarded. And But slowly but surely, obviously, I, I got over that. But I remember I couldn't say the word love out, out loud. Every time I tried to say the word love, my throat closed up. And I think I just felt I'm not loved. I haven't got that oh special person loving me. And I felt at that point that I needed that, you know, I really needed somebody to love me in order to feel lovable, which I now know isn't true. It's all about loving yourself first, but I didn't know that back then, but I learned as I went along. And it was just great for me because it really changed my mindset, changed my perception of things and there were all these light bulb moments I was like oh my god yeah and I, and I did a lot of reflection on childhood and I was reading loads of books and everything and so um, I qualified flying colours as a counsellor and I did voluntary work initially in some private organisations um, I even ran a divorce group with another counsellor and step back that was a really big step out of my comfort zone to actually stand up and talk to a group and um was amazing myself really when I look back I was like how did this happen how did I get here <laughs> and it was like all these things were God sent or the universe sent you know these unexpected things happened and then I found out about there was a course I could go and do about setting up a business and I would get paid to do it because I was still on benefits and so I went and did this course and, and then I got paid this lump sum at the end and I was able to buy because my car at this point was like you know really old and I couldn't afford it and I was able to go out and, and actually get a new car and not brand new but a newer and yeah all these amazing things happened and then further down the line anyway I um the more I read about the power of the subconscious mind which is where all our childhood messages and um, that are passed down and beliefs and feelings are stored very often holding us back in life 
leading us to feel not good enough when we absolutely are good enough um, or leading us to feel anxious or fearful or to have phobias or, or just have a block that's stopping us from succeeding in, in all the you know relationships career whatever health and you know fitness and and I, I was like counseling's great giving people the space to be heard really heard and yeah. core conditions of counseling being empathic um accepting people unconditionally non-judgmental and those values are so they're vital I think to any therapist I think you can go off and do a weekend hypnotherapy course and call yourself a hypnotherapist you know which is scary because so yeah there's a lot of them nowadays though unfortunately unfortunately there is and they're not regulated um but anyway um I then decided I heard about this another course I'd, I'd seen it advertised but I wasn't sure and it was a hypnotherapy and psychotherapy diploma but you had to have already had the counseling training which I did so um and we were working in Withenshaw in, in South Manchester and a colleague well she became a colleague friend of mine who's a counsellor were working on a voluntary basis in this centre where people could come for free counselling and she said, oh, I'm really interested in that, too. And when we first applied, they said, it's it's full, sorry, but try again next year. And then we, we were notified to say two people had dropped out. Oh, wow. so it was like, so we were on the course. So <clears throat> that was a year-long course, so qualified as a hypnotherapist, psychotherapist. And then my brother, one of my brothers was saying, why don't you set up your own business? And I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, how would people find me or who, who would come to me or how and I had all these sort of you know doubts about how it would possibly work how I could set up my own business but I thought well you know what there's no outlay as such so this particular brother did a basic website for me and then I learned it was quite simple the way he'd done it I could add pictures and text and whatever yeah and I started getting calls and that's call I got from a client I thought this is like a practical joke somebody's messing about you know somebody said that they wanted to come and see me for hypnotherapy and I was thinking oh really <laughs> I, mean, I just had this you know I thought well how, how are people going to find me what they're and be drawn to me and back then which is like what about 17 years ago when I set my business up probably coming up to 18 in December wow and, um yeah and then so so the website went right up oh I, I read everything about um seo didn't know what seo meant. <laughs> it was what a search engine optimization search engine optimization that's the one <laughs> i wrote to i wrote to these people who have wonderful websites with you know that, that came up high and asked them if, if we could exchange links and mostly people don't want to exchange links with somebody who's lower because it brings them down a bit and they were all saying yes and and again you know it's gifts had <laughs> how it happened but it did and uh, so, yeah, so we started getting, so we shared the website with this friend, colleague, Rosemary. And um, and we, we started getting lots of clients and I was really busy and um, and it progressed. But then I, I got to a point where I really wanted to share with as many people as possible my journey from being, feeling at rock bottom. And it felt like I was you know, using the flying metaphor, which I was at a former stewardess and ex-husband's pilot that I was flying along you know I was flying and had everything I wanted and then suddenly there was this crash landing and I was just right down to the ground and after licking my wounds for a while so at first I was devastated that you know that I did pick myself up and learn to fly again and um, FLY first love yourself was my message I wanted to write this book and get my message out and I thought, well, a lot of people contacted me about lacking confidence and self-belief. 
And I was thinking, well, that's a very common issue, the self-doubt, which stems from usually childhood messages. Um, but then I thought, what does everybody want? Everybody wants to be happy. And that can mean different things to, to different yeah. people. But mostly people are searching outside of themselves for things or people to make them happy. But the fact is nobody can make you happy. Nobody can make you sad, although we do say things like he really upset me or she made me so angry the reality is they other people don't have the power it's it comes from you you know if you feel sad yeah it, okay somebody said something nasty and it's normal to feel sad and angry perhaps but that's your reaction based on who you are how you feel about yourself and about what they've said so i wanted to get the message out there that you have the power within you it's not what's going on around you it's how you react to it and to share about resilience how when I felt like I had well I didn't have nothing I had my precious children um but it's it, it's just you can create happiness from within by changing your mindset and looking at things through a different lens if you like and practicing gratitude which I did before there was so much talk about gratitude I would just be driving along and look at the trees and just say thank you thank you and I really felt thankful because we eventually we got um a semi semi-detached house in in Sale near Manchester and um it was a low low rent um through a housing association but it was a lovely it was just one off you know it was in a private yeah. development and i thanked i absolutely thanked the universe for having a nice little three-bedroom semi which before we'd have this big six-bedroom four-bathroom wonderful place that we built but I, th I i thought i'm just so happy to be away from thank god i'm not still with him your story is incredible tony from literally from being homeless to you know to the i mean you've been practicing that for nearly 18 years which is absolutely yeah. incredible i've been you know, a counselor for 24 or 25 years so it's, it's been seeing for that long i know it is amazing absolutely and to be honest the resources weren't i mean you know nowadays you can a click of a button you can get anything so i mean you were in a time where you probably used to have to go back to the library do you know what i mean like 25 yeah. years ago and how can people connect with you then Tony so do you do one-to-ones on zoom as well or does people have to be in yeah, person with you if they want to come to you yeah I work with people I've worked with people in different countries in America in France and Switzerland and different cities within the UK um but most of my clients are one-to-one -one, but um of course during lockdown they were all online and so you know because I, I, I didn't used to do I've never done hypnotherapy online before um but with when I first trained I was told that you couldn't do hypnotherapy online by um, the way things were back then. Um, but when I did the RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy, the person who created that course, she did all her work online. She said, absolutely, you can. As long as you can see your client on the screen, you can see that they're comfortable. You can see if they do get upset or anything. You don't just, it's not like just on the phone. You can just hear the voice. So I've worked with, with so many people, well, every, all my clients throughout lockdowns. And so now, you know, I'm very open to working with people anywhere. Um, Fantastic. But, so your book is still on Amazon, isn't it? Your book, you can still Amazon. get your book on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. In fact, they they fluctuate the price, Amazon, and they put it up to, it was it was around £10, £9.99 or whatever. And it, it, they put it up to £14.52. I don't know whether that was based on American dollars and it, and it converted to the odd number. And now they put it down again. I still get the same amount, somewhere in the middle, I suppose. Um, but 
it's now eight something, eight pounds something. So it's like a 33%, I think it says on Amazon reduction. So if anybody is interested in buying it, it'd be a good time to buy because they'll probably put it up again. And there's also the Kindle book, but it does, it is nice to have the paperback because yeah. just try and show you inside. There's um there are color, colored images and um blank pages, just a couple of blank pages at the end of each of the steps. It's hard to flick under. Oh lovely, just to take notes as well. Yeah. Like, I love writing notes in books. <laughs> yeah, and I've got like quotes, you know, really nice um quotes and, and uh, pages like that. And so at the end of each of the seven steps to creating happiness, there's an exercise. It's not just just telling you, it's it's actually interacting. Yeah. Um and like a, a workbook to a degree. Tony, thank you so much for coming on as a guest speaker today. I'm so honestly, your story is just beautiful. It's you are such a huge inspiration. And, you know, I think an awful lot of women would need to hear those words that you've said, because let's be honest, we all we all approach hurdles in our lives and sometimes we just can't see another way. And so for you to be such a shining beacon of somebody who's, you know, you you're now practicing this work as well, but you've been there, you've done it, you've got the T-shirt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I hate to say it so sort of casually, but you really are walking the talk. So, yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed being on your podcast, Sally. Uh, so if you want to connect with Tony, like I said, I will leave all of her details in the show notes so you can find her on Instagram. You can also uh, find her through her website as well. And I'll leave the link as well on Amazon so that you can connect with Tony and purchase her book. Right. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And um, make sure that you reach out to me on social media. You can get me with at Adventures of a Geriatric Mum and I'll see you very soon. Thank you so much for taking a listen to my podcast. Find me on Instagram and Facebook at Adventures of a Geriatric Mum where there's a link to the podcast that you can share with all your friends. After all, sharing is caring, and you and I are best friends now.